Hello, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Kleber, your host, and today we continue our conversation about Unity 3D with Jason Wyman. Enjoy. Do you ever have trouble just getting into the flow? You find that your tool is great, like Visual Studio, but you could just get more out of it or get some stuff out of your way or have it give you better feedback that you would be able to get into flow easier. Well, let me tell you about Code Rush. Code Rush actually solves this problem for you. So the first thing that it does is it actually gives you a visualizer on the way that the code is set up, and it actually helps you debug stuff in an intuitive way that makes it easy for you to figure out what's going on. This really helps me stay in the flow when I'm trying to write code. Another thing that it does is it has a whole bunch of navigation options that you can get used to. Now, this is something that I figured out with Emacs was something that I really got into. So when I started using Emacs, just the key bindings and, and kind of the natural flow of things made me a much, much more efficient programmer. And the quick navigation in Code Rush is awesome. You should definitely try it out. They have code analysis, so they'll pick out some of the issues maybe for complexity or diagnose some other code issues that'll point out code smells, it'll help you refactor your code. So the code analysis is another thing where I don't have to actually go in and sit down and think, okay, have I made any mistakes in this code? Because it actually highlights them. And finally, it just validates like your code coverage and all of the other things that you're trying to look at and gives you real numbers and real feedback on the quality of your coding and the quality of your tests. So go check out Code Rush. You can get it at devexpress.com slash products slash Code Rush, or just go to devchat.tv slash Code Rush and it'll send you to the right place. Once again, that's devchat.tv slash Code Rush. Yeah, so I heard that from some friends, you know, about 10, 15 years ago that were in the game industry. I worked for a friend who, he was a salesman for a game engine back in the early 2000s. And back then there was a lot of folklore about kind of the long hours and stuff in, in the game industry. Are you kind of alluding to some of that then? I wouldn't say that. It's not so much that there are long hours uh, or that people have to work crazy crunch time. That does happen in some companies, but they're the exception. Like, I've never been in a place where that was the case, where people constantly felt that they had to work overtime hard or anything. There have been, obviously, there's like the right before we're about to release and something's not done or something blew up. But you get the same thing in enterprise where you mm -hmm. have those problems. But I would say in general, it's not not nearly as bad as people say. It's just that the work is, uh, enterprise stuff is most of the time just a lot simpler. The problems are, I guess, easier easier to solve and they're on a slower timeline than game, game designers are needy and and have and demanding. Right? They, they want a lot of things. They want to change things a lot. And there's a lot of work there to do, but it's not like crazy hours or anything. Oh, that's cool. So it's a difference. It's not probably the difference between building an entire world versus solving a little piece of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Are there extra challenges with creating a VR game versus non-VR? Primarily just performance there. So when you're dealing with VR, the biggest thing is that you've got to keep the frame rate extremely high. If it drops, people tend to get sick. There are some solutions that make it a little bit better now. And then you also have to deal with the fact that you're rendering a bit more because you have to render for both eyes. So the performance characteristics tend to be the biggest constraint and the biggest problem that people have. Like the stuff that you would run on your phone won't just run in VR. And a lot of the VR devices now are mobile, so they're extremely limited. They're like It's like building for a very old phone device. So you have to use some tricks and some... You have to do a lot of searching and tuning and stuff to get it right, but... 
I think it's been getting easier over time too. So the hardware is just getting better and better. And does Unity kind of solve all that problem for you in terms of the VR realm yet? Oh yeah. If you want to build a VR project in Unity, you just plug in your headset and check the box. You can turn on VR or if you want to use the Oculus one, you grab the Oculus package install it, you can start running the demos right there and playing in editor mode, changing things with all their samples, interacting with things. And it all just kind of works. It's really amazing how easy it is to get started. And it's been like that since they started with VR. VR first came out, it was easy on day one to get going with Unity. So I'm saying I'm a new developer and I've just launched Unity. What are some of the key concepts that I need to know and understand for building my game? Sure. So when you first launch Unity, the experience is a little bit overwhelming. I think it's like opening up an art app because there's all these different windows or like opening up Visual Studio if you have no idea what it is and it's not just a blank code file, right? You have all these tabs and sections, but there's really not a lot to it. So you see the editor there with this scene view and the default is you'll have this scene view, which shows what's in your level. And then on the left, you'll have this hierarchy window, which is also showing what's in your level. And you can kind of think about these like as a web page, like if you had a page builder or something, it's showing you the outline of the dock there on the, on the left in this hierarchy area and all of the things that you've placed into your game or your level right there in the middle. And that, that scene view is like the visual representation. So this is where you'd put in like your 2D sprites if you had 2D characters, or you would build out a 3D terrain in there and move around with your typical like WASD like you would in a first-person shooter. So you'd move around that map and place objects by dragging them out of the third window, which is the project view, which is essentially just a mapping of your folder. So when you build a Unity project, you get a folder for that. And underneath it, it has an assets folder and then a bunch of other built-in folders, project settings and things like that, some temp stuff. Your assets folder is where the entire game content goes. So all of your game content, all of your art, all of your code, your music, everything is going to be in there. And that's going to be represented down below in the project folder. You take art files, drop them into the scene view. They appear in your game. That That's the simplest thing to drop them in there. What will happen though is when you drop an object in there, you're not just getting a sprite. Say you take a sprite, you drop it from the project view up into the middle of your game. You're going to create what's called a game object, and you'll see it in the hierarchy. And that game object is kind of the core of a Unity object or the core of Unity. Unity's scenes are levels, and they're built up of a bunch of different game objects. Game objects are built up of components, and the components control how the game runs. So the components are things like your scripts, the code that you write, or the renderers for sprites, or the physics components like the rigid body that I'd mentioned earlier. So you'd just be adding all of these onto these game object things that are in this hierarchy and hit play, and then they'll all just kick off and run their built-in code. And I should probably talk about the built-in code stuff too, because one of the core things that's different in Unity is when you create like a new code file, you're not creating just a generic C-sharp script most of the time. The default is to create what's called a mono behavior class, which is really just a class that inherits from mono behavior, which is their built-in behavior class. Unity used to be built on top of mono and now it's built on the newer .NET stack. But before it was built on mono and it was this mono behavior class that has some built-in things to do callbacks. So what it'll do is give you some methods that you can use to handle when the object is enabled. So if you enable this game object, there's an on enable method that you can add in there essentially like an interface override, but magic. So it's kind of weird, and this might catch people off guard because you put in this on enable method, void on enable with an open and close. When that object turns on, it'll get called automatically even though it's not overriding. And what Unity does is call through all of these 
built-in methods on all of the mono behaviors or all of the objects in your scene when the game starts. And then every frame after that, you'll get update calls, you'll get trigger calls for when we enter like a 3D area that's marked with the physics trigger or a collision call. When we hit an object, we'll get a call back if we have an on collision enter method. And really to implement these, we just type in the name of the method and it'll automatically call it. And there's some help built into Unity to generate these for you too. I love it when a language or framework does magic for me. I've got some friends that can't stand it. They want to know the inner workings. I'm like, just let it do its thing. It's, it's making my life easier. <laughs> right? It is. And here it's really kind of just abstracting or hiding away that update loop too. So you know how in a web app, we don't have the update loop or in an enterprise app, that update loop where it's handling messages and everything is all abstracted away, way down in the Windows layer now. And it's essentially doing that for us too, just giving us a call back in whenever whenever something important happens that we shouldn't necessarily need to know about in C-sharp code. So do you usually have to create your own objects and models and, and animations and things like that? Or does it help you out with that too? I don't, not at all, because I'm a terrible, terrible artist, probably one of the worst artists out there. But there's a ton of art available for free. So when you get into Unity, there's a Unity asset store that's full of thousands of free art assets. And there's a lot of art assets just out there online. If you just search for FBX models, that's the letter FBX, you'll find tons and tons of free models that are available for games, just about anything that you could want. Plus, art now is really, really cheap. So it used to be back in the day, you would really have a hard time finding the things that you wanted. You end up spending thousands of dollars just getting a character that you wanted that was close to close to the idea that you had. Now you can probably find 10 copies of it for 10 bucks and just go grab whichever one you like the most or go grab an entire pack for 30 bucks that's got hundreds of characters in it. So it's gotten a lot easier and you definitely don't have to be a good artist. It doesn't hurt. If you're a good artist and a bad programmer, you can do a lot of amazing things too. So you mentioned that Unity was free, but I'm guessing at some point when you start making money, Unity will probably charge you money to use it. Um, Yeah, so they have a free billing model up until I think you make $100,000 a year. And then it switches over to, I think it's $35 a month. The prices change and the numbers change relatively regularly. I just have the pro subscription. If you make over 200000 or something, you have to have the pro one. But I've had it forever, so I just stick with that. And I haven't paid enough attention to it. But in general, most people that I know use the free one unless they've released the game or they're working at a game company. Is there a feature difference between the three or is it mostly about the amount you're selling? There's not anymore. There used to be a couple little things and they've slowly stripped away all of those. They've even removed the dark mode, which was like the last remaining holdout of the pro version was dark mode. And people with their hacks online for how to enable it and all kinds of stuff, <laughs> put it in there. And yeah, now, now it's available too. The only thing that you can't do is skip the made with Unity splash screen, which is one of the reasons that lots of terrible Unity games have the made with Unity splash screen because you can't remove it on the free version. <laughs> so back to the models and things like that. Uh, what's it like to animate a model? Is When you buy a model, is it just a static thing and then you have to figure out how to you know, do keyframes and things like that for, for animating? So you can. You could go in and animate them and set up keyframes. And sometimes I'll do that, but not for characters in general because I'm a terrible animator. Usually I'll do that for simple mechanical animations that I want to do moving things around. 
For characters, though, you can find animations freely just about everywhere. The site I like to use the most is Mixamo.com because I can just grab one of my characters, upload it, preview with a whole bunch of different animations, download the animations mapped to the character and adjust them and put them right into game. But there's also a lot of animations that are just available in the asset store for free that you can directly map onto your characters. And remapping them is really simple with the humanoid system. So you can set up a character and just have one animation that's like the run animation for all of your all of your humanoids and have it work across them, not have to build a whole bunch of them. Obviously, big companies like to do really custom animation per character. But in general, if you want to mo- animate characters, extremely easy. And you're going to generally find that most characters that you get are already animated too. And they'll come with like a dozen or two dozen animations built in. So we talked about money. So that's all I need to do is build my game, put it out there, and I'm going to be rich, right? I'd say so, yeah. That's pretty much it. Cool. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, the biggest thing <laughs> games really is, uh, there's two important things to build a big successful game. It's got to be fun and viral so that people want to play it and talk about it and share it. And you've got to be able to market it and get it out there in front of people. And a lot of the time, people try to skip that part. They'll try to skip the whole advertising the game, marketing it, and getting it in people's hands. They'll wait, they'll build up the entire thing, just do a Steam launch, and expect that people are going to show up. Like, just say, game's out. Haven't said anything about it for three years, but it's done, it's out, go check it out. Tends to go about as good as you would expect, right? You really want to be building up hype for the game really early on in development. I would say that if you're going to build a game and your plan is release it, sell it, make some money off of it, Get people in and get them playing early and don't be afraid to get people or let people see the shitty version of your game, right? Your game is going to be terrible at first. Don't don't be afraid to let people in and let them play once you have the what you think is the fun part there. Once you get it to the point where you think it should be fun or there's a fun mechanic, get people in testing it, playing it, and building up that hype. Because they're going to do two things. They're going to give you good feedback on what's wrong with your game, how to make it more fun, how to make it more interesting. And they're going to spread the word, right? They're going to bring more people in. One way that people do this too is through uh, Patreon. So when, actually, I recently recorded an interview with a Unity developer who's doing exactly this. He has a Patreon page set up where you can get in, you can play the game. If you're a, If you're a supporter, you can try it out, you can give feedback. And then once he's ready, he'll release it to Steam. But he's just constantly building it up and you know, getting the word out there while making the game better and spreading the word. And I mean, it got me to be interested, sign up, join Patreon and do a YouTube video about it. So I think it's the kind of thing that everybody should be doing. You know, get get the word out there and show your stuff to people. So people often deep. use use that fundraising sites like either Patreon or Kickstarter or GoFundMe or something like that. Is that a good way to get started? Yeah, I'd say Patreon's probably one of the easiest ones to do because the other options are really kind of, they're, they're a full-time job on their own. If you try to set up a Kickstarter for a project, that's basically a full-time job. Plus you have to sign up for and commit to all kinds of extra stuff that you probably didn't want to do that's outside the scope of your game. And then it's, it's going to distract a lot. So I would say start with something simple like Patreon, get, get people in, let them support your stuff. And then if you have a big marketing team, then, then you go to something bigger like that. Those Kickstarter projects tend to have like a dedicated person or two working on them. And and how do how would you distribute a game? Like would would you be using like Epic or Steam and things like that? I would go with all of them, really. There's no reason not to just push out to all of the platforms now unless you have some exclusivity deal. And it's gotten easy enough that you can. It used to be really hard to get into Steam and then they made it really easy and then everybody started competing. So 
I'm not sure what the best options are going to be for money. I would bet that Steam probably still has the most sales right now, but that may change over the next couple months or years. Who knows? Hey, folks, one of the things that I find that really makes a difference for people being happy in their job is working in a place that makes a difference. And there's a terrific company out there that's looking to hire full stack developer just like you, and that's Faith Life. Their average tenure is five years. I mean, five years, that's forever in developer years. Usually I see people changing jobs every one to two years. People are sticking around because they're great. They have a great values-based culture and they are hiring developers in the United States. They're looking for full-stack developers who can do C-sharp or JavaScript on the back end and React on the front end. Go check them out at devchat.tv slash faithlife. That's devchat.tv slash faithlife. And do you have to compile your code in a certain way to make it compatible with the Steam store or the Epic store? It doesn't matter. Oh, no, not at all. So when you're building out to, at least with the Steam store, I haven't done an Epic build yet, but with Steam, it's you're building out to a folder and then you're running a batch file that takes that folder, uploads it up to Steam, basically wow. sends it up there as the next build. And then on the back end, they do the, the Delta comparisons for the, the downloads and stuff. That's great. So what are, what are a couple of games that you've seen like maybe in the last few years that you like the, the way they're made or whatever that earn Unity? And how about a couple of games that you've enjoyed playing? I'd say the biggest one, because honestly, like, I don't play a ton of games anymore. I spend a lot of time coding. The, the biggest one that was most popular or mo- got the most fame was probably Cuphead. That game was all a blast. And I don't know if you guys have seen it. I had a ton, a ton of fun playing it. And it's just a really cool visual feel. It looks like a retro arcade platformer. But the game that I play the most that's built on there and has probably made a ton of money is uh, Magic Arena. I don't know if you guys ever played Magic the Gathering, the card game. I still have my one of my web decks here. <laughs> Big Magic. Oh, yeah. card. And they rebuilt their entire online system in Unity. I remember talking to the developer when they were first starting on it and being really excited that it was coming out in Unity. And they built it, and it's amazing. Like, it's literally the thing I play. Um, I, I play it way too much. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I need to stop. Every now and then I have to uninstall it so that I will be more productive. <laughs> oh, I've had games yeah. like that. <laughs> I, uh, I blew hundreds of dollars back in the 90s on Magic the Gathering. And, and I'm actually looking forward to Magic Legends. We'll, we'll see how, how it pans out. But yeah, good deal. Cool. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that later. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is there a game that you're working on that you're going to be putting out? or um, Not right now. So I, I have been, but I've been switching lately to just focus on teaching stuff. So I, I cut out all of my game development of stuff that's at least publicly known about and only working on teaching now and trying, trying to focus on helping other developers learn how to make games helping new developers get into game development and then helping people that are having problems with their games, getting them launched and stuff. I have a couple game ideas that I'm slowly working on in the background, but trying to keep them under wraps until I figure out what I'm actually going to do with them. <laughs> and also trying not yeah. to work on other people's projects as much as possible now. I feel like I, I spent so much of my life building other people's games. Like I need to do my own eventually. And that's one of my big focuses outside of teaching. Yeah, I imagine games making money kind of follows the 80-20 rule. You know, 20% of the games make 80% of the money. Oh, yeah. It's probably even worse than that, right? (laughs) Yeah. Fortnite makes a big chunk. There's always like four or five games that make the biggest chunk of the money. But there's still plenty to be had. Those companies are enormous, 
mega billion dollar companies with investors and lots of people to pay. It's easy to make enough money to survive as a game studio. I shouldn't say it's easy. It's viable. It's, it's realistic to make enough money to survive as a game studio and do really well. It's just like doing enterprise software. If you build the right thing and you get people in there that want to be customers and want to play your stuff, they're going to come back and they're going to buy the next one and the next one and keep playing. And it's going it, to, you can be pretty successful with it. I mean, you can be really successful with it or maybe turn into one of those billion dollar companies. That's where they come from, right? Yeah. So let's set expectations, you know, if somebody does want to make a game and they want to put it out there and want to make some money, you know, what's the typical income that somebody's actually going to make? I don't know, actually, if it comes to like an indie developer releasing their game, I know much more about what people would make building games at a company, which is, is reasonable and about the same as an enterprise developer. But when you release a game out into the indie market, you could be looking at Fifty dollars to you know a hundred thousand dollars on launch day, just depending on how much hype you've built up around that game. Most of them that I see, that I've talked to, that have been relatively successful, are you know twenty to thirty thousand dollars in the first month, and then it slowly starts to dwindle down from there. Usually, what you'll see when you release a game is a giant spike, and then a dip, and then there will be some announcement, some update, and there will be another spike, and then a dip. And it tends to go in that pattern where you'll see big spikes of people buying and then lots of time where there's not a lot of activity. But if you're working, I also wouldn't recommend that anybody start off as an indie developer with zero experience. Like try working at another game company with some other developers too and get some experience seeing what they're building and, and how they're doing it, assuming that you don't already have a full-time job doing something else. And if you do that, you can make great money. I know game developers who make a killing who make way more than a lot of the enterprise developers I know. Plus, there's a lot of room for growth. So the environments that you're going to deploy a game to can be just vast. So does Unity help with you know setting the you know performance and details and capabilities of the game based upon where it's published to? And you're like going out to a phone. You know, there's some pretty underpowered phone out there versus you know full game PC or some of the consoles, they can do a lot more bigger textures, more characters, things like that. How does How is that handled? So that's often done through the quality settings. In Unity, there's actually a whole quality settings section that allows you to adjust at least the visual side of the rendering and the, the performance. So if you're running into rendering-related performance issues or showing too many things, or a lot of the time it's too many transparent objects stacked on top of each other, cause some performance problems. If you're in those cases, though, switching to just a different quality setting is usually the solution. What you'll do is set up in your code. It's not going to do this automatically for you. You're going to have to do it. You have to set up the different quality levels and then do some device detection or some performance detection to switch to the appropriate quality level. If you're on a Windows build or like a standalone build, you may have even seen these where you get a little drop down and you can pick the quality level of your graphics or change the quality level in-game. So really what that does is just swap the quality level option in Unity at runtime so that we can uh, render more lights, less lights, more transparent things, less transparent things, stuff like that to adjust it. Other than that, you have to do a little bit of management yourself. And usually what I try to do is target the minimum spec platform. So you want to make sure that the game, at least the code side of it, runs great on a minimum spec platform. So that whatever the, the lowest thing you're going to deploy to still runs at... 30 or 60 frames a second, whatever it is that you're targeting. And then the rendering side, you, you get to do those little tricks. 
I, I should mention, like, because I have done some tricks on the coding side too, where we detect slower devices and then literally code in to slow down our update rates and slow things down so that it'll work. Thinking of like old iPhone ones and stuff. Cool, cool. Oh, I'm super inspired. I I feel like I want to just go and go to a tutorial after this and create my own Flappy Bird or something. <laughs> go for Angry Bird. It's more fun. Yeah. <laughs> You got some built-in testers where you you're at Y with your kids, right? They're too young still. <laughs> still, I still try to keep pushing them into 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 this. But even I, I think they're still not. I mean, my my five five and a half year old. She's. I don't think she's still kind of coordinated enough to to press the buttons. With, with the tablet, she's okay. Maybe I'll make a phone game. Yeah, yeah, yeah that'll work. Or you can borrow borrow Caleb's kids. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, get, older, I've 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 already got my son deep into Switch world. So, <laughs> and you know, we I knew the Switch had to come up. Of course it did, but guess what? I'm not going to pick anything to do with the Switch today. Uh. I promise. All right, cool. I just wanted to add one more thing on your topic. We were talking earlier about laptops and touchscreens. Developing on a touchscreen in Unity is amazing because you get that same experience like you're building for your tablet without having to go out to a tablet and do the, the touch interactions and stuff. It's great. So, so you can actually install device, you can install Unity on a tablet and do the development on the tablet? Oh, no, no. I'm talking okay. about like a touchscreen okay. laptop. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it, but you can, however, have a, la a tablet set up next to you and render the game on there and test on there while it's running in your editor locally too. There's a remote setup that'll allow you to do that. But if you have a touchscreen laptop, it's a thousand times better because you just touch the screen, drag the object around, pause, see what happened. <laughs> Good thing I just got a brand new touchscreen laptop. Mm -hmm. Cool. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. We'll move on to picks. So the audience doesn't know that before we actually started recording, we were talking to Jason about some colored lights that he has in his background. And we started talking about Christmas lights and things like that as well. And so my picks, since the holiday season is coming up, is a place that I actually bought my Christmas lights. And it's it has controllers and lights and all that kind of things that you can set up to have animated trees or scenes in your front yard or on your house. So it's a site called Holiday Coro put the link in that. But if anybody wants to get into programming Christmas lights, even I set them up for holiday for other holidays. So Halloween, I'll make everything like orange and spooky and things like that. So if you want to get into that, check out this website where I got my lights. All right, Caleb, what's your pick? So this episode has actually given me multiple picks, but you know, I need to save some for later. So I'm actually going to do one that that goes along with the 3D modeling. There is a company called TurboSquid that's based out of New Orleans. I've actually interviewed with them previously, you know, years, several years back. But they're they're a big player in in this space, and I actually think I, I've added a link to some of their free FBX files. But they're a good company and and got a lot of good stuff. So that's my pick for this week. Oh, that's cool. Because yeah, I, I know about TurboSquid because I've done some 3D animation and things like that. I didn't know they were out of New Orleans. Cool. Yeah, yeah. All right. 
why? What's your pick? Okay, so I kind of had a bit of trouble thinking up a pick this week, but uh, and I'm not sure if I've actually already done it, but for this particular one, but I have kind of a habit of forgetting my keys and just wallets like all the time. Like it's not as much of a problem like whilst I've been working from home, but there's so many mornings where I'm just kind of running around the house going, oh my God, where did I put my keys? I can't get to work kind of thing. So then I bought these things called like a tile and I've kind of, they're like these little keychain things where you can put them into everything. You can put them into your keys and, and your wallet and things like that. And then you got to, phone app where if you when you've lost your key you can just kind of i guess go into the phone app and then figure out uh, and then pick the tile that you want and it starts beeping so it's it saved me a, a few times from not being able to find my stuff so yeah i've well, actually helped somebody find their keys with a tile before i didn't have a tile myself but i found some keys uh, outside where i worked and it had a little, little tile thing on it and what's that for and so i looked it up and then i was like okay does this thing send out its own little signal or whatever so i did find out that you had to install the app on your phone and then it would report the location to whoever owned the keys and yeah next day they, they came and picked up the keys so it yeah i think it can work I think if you've got the tile, you can also press the button on the tile and it also rings the phone. So some, a few times I've actually forgotten where my phone was. Um, and yeah, then, if, you're in, uh, if you're in range, but this person was gone, they weren't anywhere. Around, oh, so, right, right. So it, if they had to pick up somebody's phone that had the app installed in order to re- report the location. So, yeah. But yeah. that was still cool. Mm. All right, Joel. Yeah, so you got. my pick was recreational. I had a friend come up from Austin, Texas to get out of the heat down there. Apparently, this was, I guess, uh, every day in August hit 100 or above. So he was happy to get away and come on up and visit me. And we went to the Chiquamagon National Forest in Wisconsin, over here next door to Minnesota. And that is this beautiful one million acre national forest that has a couple hundred miles of mountain bike and gravel trails winding through it. And if you're a mountain biker, it is just a joy to ride. It's just like, seems like limitless trails. You know, when you're in town, there might be like a couple hundred acre place and you'll have the weavy trails that kind of turn back on themselves. This feels like you're just going straight line for miles and miles, which you actually are. So we did three days of mountain biking up there and man, it was great just to be away out in the woods Stayed in a little cabin by some lakes out there in, in Cable, Wisconsin, and really had a great time with it. Cool. Cool. Sounds fun. Yeah. yeah. All right, Jason, have you came up with something you want to let our listeners know about? Sure. I got two, actually. After listening to your guys, I got really inspired. So the first was my buddy Jason's BitGym 3D site. Just like Turbo Squid, he's got a ton of really great art and a lot of free and cheap stuff, and he even has like an unlimited plan on there. I use this stuff all the time, and I always tell people to use it. So I'm telling people what to use. I would, I highly recommend it. It's just bitgem3d.com. I use this stuff I do. all the time. I, I really love it. I just love the art style. It's, it's really cool and fun and colorful. And the other thing I wanted to share was just because I spent all day yesterday or most of the day yesterday and a lot of this morning installing a shelf from rcgdesigns.com that I freaking love. It's amazing. And it's the coolest thing I, I've ever bought and put up. So I wanted to share that too. Just say, go check it out. He builds these cool, like, if you're into weird steampunky type stuff with weird custom gauges and crap, like, like I am, um, it's really neat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we saw yourself at the start. It looks really cool. Uh, one of the gauges even has a, is an FPS counter and our frames per second and they're all customized and stuff. It's, yeah, it's really neat. <laughs> sweet, sweet. Well, uh, thanks for your time today, Jason. I, I hope that we, we've got some 
people uh, excited about using Unity 3D and maybe even some future rich game developers. <laughs> That'd be great. You can, they, they can send the commissions straight to the show. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> or if anybody wants to reach out to the show, they can get to touch with me on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. And if they want to get out to you, Jason, how can they get in touch? Just at my site, game.courses. Weird domain name, but it's just game.courses. And I've got my beginner stuff on there, courses and email. You can just email me directly on there. It's usually the best way to get a hold of me. Or my name is Jason Wyman on YouTube. W-E-I-M-A-N-N. Cool. Thanks, everybody. I think it was a great show. Yeah. Everybody stay safe. Yeah. You too, Caleb. Yeah, don't don't (laughs) get hit by a hurricane. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll catch everybody on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.